This is an RNZ podcast. The farmers are making a fuss again. Wine, wine, wine. Demanding huge handouts from us again. Wine, wine, wine. Tax incentives and subsidies. Sheep retention and SMPs. That was the late David MacPhail back in 1982 with his signature impression of the Prime Minister at that time, Robert Muldoon. And there he was complaining about farmers wanting more from his government and not for the first time. However, 40 years on, subsidies, tax relief and supplementary minimum prices are long gone. These days, farmers are unhappy about paying more to the government to cover the cost of environmental policies. So, times change. But in that satirical song, Wine, 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 the late John Gadsby, who was the voice of the grumpy farmer back in 1982, also echoed one theme of last week's rural howl of protest. City people don't understand Problems facing us on the land A new Mercedes is 90 grand Forty years on, a rise in the cost of most new utes, part of policies to penalise high emission vehicles and make electric vehicles cheaper, was one catalyst for the groundswell movement's rallies around the country last week. And with rallies in 55 towns and cities around the country, it was the biggest and most widespread protest for years. On the day of the protest, the National Party put out a video about that so-called ute tax that looked like a MacPhail and Gadsby skit from days gone by, or possibly even one from Benny Hill. It showed farmers being jabbed hard in the backside by a pointy red arrow marked ute tax with a jaunty ukulele soundtrack in the background. Hard-working Kiwi farmers are being blindsided by unreasonable taxes. Demand the debate. On the morning of the day of protest, News Talk ZB's breakfast host Mike Hosking wound up his show by giving it 8 out of 10, even though it hadn't actually happened. Groundswell 8. Yes, hopefully the government gets a wake-up call today as to just how hopelessly out of touch they are with vast swathes of this country. Meanwhile, on RNZ's Morning Report, at the same time, one of Groundswell's founders, Southland farmer Laurie Patterson, said the media seized on the ute tax, but it was only one of many rural issues. And he had a gag of his own ready to go, though not quite MacPhail and Gadsby-style delivery. Well, you know, farmers are... um, You know, they only seem to have four sports in New Zealand at the moment. That's rugby, cricket, netball and bashing farmers. In a message to rally his supporters on Facebook, Laurie Patterson reminded them of the importance of creating the right image for the media. We don't want any media attention just because someone does something silly because we all know it will be played on TV over and over. So don't let the groundswell New Zealand head shed down. They are all volunteers working other jobs who have put their heart and souls into this. But while Laurie Patterson said he wanted all protesting farmers to be 100% on message, what the main message was at the rallies was confusing. Slogans on vehicles and convoys griped about not just the ute tax and stuff like water reform, but also Māori language and the fact that we have a female Prime Minister from Morinsville. And Laurie Patterson was right about the media seizing on those rogue messages. 
How constructive is it to have Utes honing around with signs like Black Utes Matter and Jacinda is a communist bitch? Yeah, look, I, I, I th personally, I think you know, pers personal attacks are, are not appropriate. I think you'll find a lot of farmers feel that too. Dairy New Zealand boss Tim Mackle on News Hub Nation last weekend. But overall, there was lots and lots of media coverage of what he called the diversity of views. For example, those gathered in a convoy in Te Aumutu were interviewed on Magic Talk's Rural Exchange show and it left any urbanites listening and no doubt just how unhappy they were. New Zealand is not how it should be or how it used to be any longer and uh, we don't like the way it's heading. Also as farmers there's too many restrictions being put on us. I've just had enough. Yeah, that's it. I would say had enough too. And, and the unappreciation of farming to New Zealand. And as if to show that the talk radio narrative on this and opposition talking points had cut through in the country, there were comments like this one. Why can they give the mongrel mob 2.7 million and not blink an eye? They don't want to know about us when, it, when we have problems in the South Island like the flooding and that. What did they get down there? Peanuts. They got, they got less than the slide at Parliament. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a joke. But time and time again, though, it came back to those utes. You can't tow a fifth-wheeler with an EV ute. So we're supporting the absolute stupidity of the tax on utes. In an opinion piece for NZME, Balclutha farmer Shelley Krieger pointed out that the protests had been organised before the so-called ute tax issue exploded, and Groundswell New Zealand already had a list of six other concerns, including freshwater management, the emissions trading scheme and significant natural areas, but none of those got anywhere near as much focus as utes. But while farmers' complaints about costs for all those were pretty easy to find in the media, it was hard to figure out what the costs were, where they might be unreasonable or unfair, and whether they really threatened the profitability or even, as some said, the viability of farming in the foreseeable future. And that's before anyone considered if that change that's coming thick and fast now, along with those costs, is partly because of a lack of action in the past. In the Herald this week, senior writer Simon Wilson made that point and the point that meat prices are high and near-record dairy payouts are coming up. The No Farmers No Food protest slogan, he said, was a good one, but... We also know that it's not fundamentally about our own food. All those sheep in the paddocks, 95% of their meat is destined for export. And that means our food is costing more too. After the howl of protest last week, that became a media theme this week. And perfect timing for the RNZ data project, Who's Eating New Zealand? If you feel like red meat is more expensive than it used to be, you're right. The price of some of the most common cuts has risen well beyond inflation. Pharrell Hancock reports on how New Zealanders are battling against overseas buyers for our produce. How much did a kilogram of beef mince cost? In January 2007. Well, the answer to that was a lot less than today, even allowing for inflation, and it also costs more here than some places overseas right now. Beef and lamb told RNZ's Farah Hancock this. We're exporters and we're price takers, not price makers in this country. So what I mean by that, if, if a housewife in the middle of Oxford in the UK is prepared to pay a certain price for a cut of meat, we have to match that in, in, in New Zealand.
But having heard that, Kiwis in the UK then posted details online of meat on sale in UK supermarkets at much cheaper prices than ours. Now, we've seen all this before, where prices paid overseas have made prices surge here in the past, and next Thursday we'll be going there again, when the Commerce Commission releases its draft report into competition in the grocery sector. Stand by for many more headlines on that issue. And urban people will have less sympathy for farmers if they're struggling to buy costlier essential food, let alone a new ute, while farmers get some of the benefits of the higher prices paid here and overseas for food. On the day of the protests, Groundswell co-founder Laurie Patterson denied that the rural-urban divide was getting wider on the NZME rural show The Country, reporting from Gore. Laurie, this is just a reflection of the frustration out there, not only in rural New Zealand, but in all New Zealand, about some of these stupid regulations. Yeah, that's right, Jamie. Um, people have said, you know, oh, this is urban versus rural. That's absolutely not right. We've had huge feedback from urban people saying that we agree with what you do, what you're doing, uh, making a stand, and uh, we're with you. What can we do to help? But the urban-rural divide was hotly debated this past week, and not just in the national media. Can you hear us now? asks the front page of this week's Farmers Weekly. But inside, editor Brian Gibson blamed a failure of communication and leadership, and not just from the government. Meanwhile, the Gisborne Herald last weekend published in full a fierce speech delivered during the howl of protest by a local councillor, Kerry Worsnop. Almost all of the grievances that we bring here today have their roots in a fancy idea dreamed up in Wellington, which is then rammed down the throat of provincial New Zealand. Her message was, let farmers get on with it, they know what to do better than any bureaucrat. And that echoed a tub-thumping speech at the groundswell protest in Otorohanga, part of the one we heard about earlier in the King Country. Last Tuesday, the 100-year-old local paper, the King Country News, quoted local groundswell organiser Lee Smith as saying, climate change policies were crucifying farmers and... Some of the decision-making is derived from pressure imposed by overseas groups who are unaccountable. The country is ours, not the United Nations. And the King Country News reported that the crowd roared its approval when Lee Smith challenged the media to report honestly and hold our public servants to account. Well, one journalist didn't entirely disagree. In a piece for the spin-off asking how real is the rural-urban divide, Laura Walters said news coverage focused far too much on the ute tax and... Some overly simplified reporting ignored grievances about what farmers believed was a poorly thought-out regulatory work plan and a government that continued to promise engagement without actually listening. In the King Country News this week, editor Heather Carsten wrote this. The divide between urban and rural has grown so wide, you just about need a waka to sail to the other side. The stark front page headline on her paper's front page that day was This is our land, not yours. And that headline was a quote from a groundswell protester complaining about the rules for significant natural areas, which prevent some farmers fully developing or converting some parts of their land. But it was a galling one for Tangata Whenua to read and tone deaf for anyone else who had an understanding of the history of land confiscation and conflict in that particular region. So does media coverage reinforce that rural-urban divide? A question I put to Heather Carsten, the editor of King Country News. But first I asked her, did the strength of feeling at last week's protests take most of our media by surprise? Absolutely. 
if, when, when you stop and think about it, we have a lot of you know emphasis on uh, politically what's going to happen in terms of regulation. And let's be quite clear here, this government have perhaps put through more changes in policy and legislation and rules than I think any other government for the last 60 years. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's been a lot of looking looking at that angle rather than actually looking at the coal face. And this is the biggest problem that we have, I think, with media across the board, is where we rely a lot on public relations. We're not actually getting out there. The resources are not there to get out there, you know, five o'clock on a frosty morning and say to a farmer, how do you feel about this? If we didn't have an understanding of the people whom we represent, there would be something quite wrong with that. And I think that's, I mean, I've been in, in, in the business for 40 odd years, and, and I think for me, um, you find the resources. You always used to have people that were out and about and they'd supply stories through to something like Associated Press or whatever. These days you just don't see that. The dailies, the, 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 the you know, TV, they, they don't send people out there to actually see and feel and hear what's going on. So this kind of thing takes them by surprise. They're very much on the back foot, I believe. That front page is quite striking. You know, this is our land, not yours. Um, yeah, did you feel pressure to kind of come down on the side of farmers in the protest? Not at all. I, I think, you know, they've got us through COVID. They've been the backbone of the economy. And I've seen that. We've seen that firsthand, just how hard they worked throughout that time. Did I feel pressure? The answer to that is no. I could see it coming some some time ago. Yeah, but it had to happen. While I found there was a common theme in a lot of reporting, people complaining, often there was this phrase, you know, a tsunami of regulations, all this stuff coming at once and the costs associated with that. But the media, in your mind, let us down in a way because I found it really hard to find a summary that gave me a clear picture of just what it was farmers were now expected to bear in terms of cost than, that they weren't before. Yeah. I think the thing is the complexity of it, and it's far-reaching. It's across the board. I mean, if you look at the what we call the SNAs, or significant natural areas, for example, and there are farmers out there who are losing between 60 to 80 percent of their land. They're not allowed to build on it. They're not allowed to do anything with it. They have to fence it at their own cost, and they still have to pay rates on it. But it no longer is their land. I don't think journalists or editors seem to be as aware as they should be of just how complex this is. Now, there's the, the actual reality of what that is going to mean for your average farmer just simply isn't there. I mean, they've got sheep levies they have to pay, beef levies, the mycoplasma and bovis thing with, with another cost that they've had to bear. Well, one, one of the themes also in that speech by Lee Smith, particularly that your paper reported, was um, her saying, look, farmers know best, you know, trust them. Uh, we don't often need all these regulations. She even urged um, the government to, to just scrap some of these rules, forget about it. But um, one sort of pushback on that was on News Talk ZB, the broadcaster Jack Tame in his weekend show. He raised the example of Mycoplasma bovis, uh, which you mentioned earlier. I mean, there we saw, uh, for example... Uh, there were farmers, you know, huge levels of non-compliance with the NATE system, so when traceability became important, uh, you know, it was obvious that a lot of farmers just hadn't done that. There was resistance and pushback to the important measures to try and, you know, curtail that disease. I mean, if you were a, a city dweller looking at this coverage and you hear farmers say, look, leave it to us, we know how to manage the land and animals, you know, well, do you really? And, you know, that call seems quite irresponsible in a way. 
I think that, that that's one of those things that you kind of have to look at it as a one-off. It was very unexpected, a bit like COVID-19, if you like. It was very unexpected. It was something that they hadn't had to deal with before. They learnt quick what they needed to do, and there was no issue with that. So I think there's lots and lots of stuff that's happening up there that city dwellers simply are unaware of, and they don't realise just how ahead of the game farmers really are. And I know in our region, you know, there's no question of the fact how far ahead of the game they are. So some of these rules and regulations have come along that aren't always necessary. I mean, don't get me wrong, you're always going to have the odd farmer or two that, you know, or three that doesn't follow regulations. It's the same with any other industry that you have. To really over-regulate, which I think is what farmers here believe is happening, um, is is not the answer. But the overarching thing about this is that farmers just simply believe they're not being heard. They're not even being talked to. They're not being approached about it. They're just being told. And it's I think I think it's you know the straw that broke the camel's back was the um, the ute tax. Interesting that the editorial in this week's Farmers Weekly, um, written by editor Brian Gibson, um, is a lot more. Neutral, if I could put it that way, he says um, the headline on it is lack of leadership fueling disconnect. He says the responsibility for all this falls on government, industry, leadership and every other stakeholder. So he's kind of spreading the blame around for this. Um, there's probably some truth in it, to be quite honest. I mean, it's all very well to say that farmers have lobby groups, and they do, federated farmers and beef, the beef and lamb industry, that kind of thing. And, you know, they've got those. But what I'm seeing as a journalist is in the, in the past it used to be a question of they'd get in there and they'd say, look, we, we, we need to look at this and this is a problem for us. Now they're really busy kind of running after the thing because So I do think that he has a point. Well, Heather, in your editorial in King Country News, you wrote that the uh, rural-urban divide has now grown so wide you just about need a waka to sail from one side of it to the other. And I wonder, does some of this apply to the media? Um, earlier you mentioned, you know, farmers don't often see a journalist, you know, on the land as uh, as they might have done in the past. Um, absolutely, I think there is an issue. Most farmers will be quite happy to tell you that uh, they don't see the media um, out here, and I use that term quite loosely because they don't tend to include us. We are entrenched, have been here for 107 years, so they know who we are. But dailies, or you've got television, or you've got radio, you are listening to all that's going on, and you're hearing what is being given to you by the journalist, um, but you're not actually hearing the reality because they're not here on the ground. They're not actually here seeing what's happening. They're not seeing, for example, what the Punya River Care are doing or, you know, the Awakino River Care Group are doing or they're not seeing the, the, the native nurseries that are growing here, which is an iwi-based thing, I think we've got one out of Carthia, who are supplying plants to farmers by the millions. They're not actually seeing the amount of farmers who have got themselves onto committees or councils or how many of them are turning to the lobby groups they do have who seem to be a little bit hamstrung. They're not, you know, they're not being consulted with. So, yeah. So do I think journalists um, and editors and you know, media in general need to be much more proactive in the rural regions? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was Heather Carsten, the editor of King Country News, which covered last week's howl of protest in the region in this week's edition with a front page last Tuesday that said, this is our land, not yours.